You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Uh, good to be back with you guys. Uh, last week, as you probably realized, I was not here. I, I was with my family on vacation. We had a very full, but yes, very fun trip to Disney World and Universal Studios. Uh, we've been planning that for a couple years, and that finally happened last week. We were over in Orlando. I, as much as it's nice to be back with you, I, I will admit, leaving 82 degrees on Wednesday night <laughs> and then coming here Thursday morning, I think it was 29. That's not okay. That was, that was not cool. Um, and it has been really cold ever since. And our heater is almost working in here. So apologies for that. But uh, I had to get back. We actually, we have to wrap up our teaching series today that we've been in uh, for the last nine weeks. So I knew I had to get back for that. I also had to get back because I was afraid if I did not leave Disney any sooner uh, that I might lose my wife forever. <laughs> She, she kept making comments like, I could just live here. And I'm like, it costs as much as a house in Oregon for like a day. I don't think that's going to work out. And um, the, the, the seven dwarfs were a little flirty. Um, I don't know if you saw the picture of my wife and what she wore, but like Bashful's name is not true. He was quite flirtatious. Uh, and I was like, I got to get you out of here. So... Um, if you, again, if you don't understand that, you got to see the get up my wife had. She was so cute, uh, looking like Snow White. But um, before we get to the final, final fruit of the Spirit, if, if you missed last week's announcements, and uh, I know most of you heard this, but I, I do want to speak into it myself. Um, the day we left, the day we flew, actually after we touched down, I got word um, that Eric Larson had passed away. And if you'd missed that announcement, I'm sorry to just kind of drop that on you. Uh, Kurt mentioned it last week, um, but Eric and Paula and their kids have been a part of this church for a long time, 35-ish years, I think, or so. I, I'm not sure the exact number. Um, Eric was a huge part of our worship team. We've actually got his bass guitar up here today. Uh, Aaron, who led worship, is close with Eric and specifically said, no one's filling that spot today. Um, he was supposed to be on the team today, and uh, we wanted to honor him and leave his spot open. Um, Eric and Paula have been on our board a number of times over the number of years. Eric was the guy we would call when we thought we'd messed up our books and needed someone, like, because he's a, you know, a CPA, and it was like, hey, can you please look at our book, make sure we're doing this right? You know, Eric was always helpful in those ways. Um, on top of all of that, Eric was one of, for me personally, one of the most encouraging people in our church and always had this knack for, for encouraging me when I was just needing it. Right. In fact, this week, several times, I, I went through my email uh, and just read emails that he had sent to me, um, one of which was in December of 2020. And I don't know if you remember 2020 well, but <laughs> it was a hard year, and, and particularly for pastors, but for everybody, you know. 
And, and Eric sent me an email that month that I've kept forever. And um, I just went back and read that and just thought, what a gift he had of, of knowing what to say and when and like lifting my spirit. Um, was something that I'll just, I'll miss greatly about Eric. And he leaves a huge hole in our church, but obviously he leaves an even bigger hole in his family. Um, so we need to be praying for them and rallying around them. Um, but one of the things his daughter told me, Brittany, one of the things his daughter told me, I think it was the day after, maybe the two days after he passed. She said, um, I can't really explain it, but the last couple of years, it's almost felt like my dad has had one foot in heaven. And um, I asked her to explain that. She said, it's just like he was talking about it more. He'd talk about eternity. He'd talk about wanting to be with God and looking forward to, to that and, and all of these things. Um, and I guess I just, I know you know this, but I, I am confident that as we worship this morning, Eric has both feet in the presence of God. And um, it, it's hard, right? We, we mourn. But by the way, grief is the appropriate response to losing someone that you love. Uh, and so there's a lot of grief with that. Um, but, but we grieve differently, right? Thessalonians says that uh, we grieve not as those without hope, right? We, we grieve, yes, we grieve, but we grieve with hope. And that's gonna be kind of the theme of his service. Uh, that's what we wanna share and talk about. Um, and so I look forward to, to talking about that more and celebrating his life. That's gonna be on December the 3rd you want to put that in your calendars or write that down, we're going to have a service here at the church. Uh, it's, it's going to be a madhouse. It's going to be packed. Be ready for that. Um, and and we, could, we could have it somewhere else where there's more chairs and more seating and stuff, but uh, this is his church, and, and I want to have it here, and the family wants to have it here, so we're going to make it work. So if you are able to stand, be ready to stand, maybe. <laughs> uh, but but uh, December the 3rd, we're going we're gonna to talk more about all of that, so I hope you'll join us. Okay, there's no easy way to transition, but we're going to need to do it, all right? Uh, we're in the last fruit of the Spirit, this list of nine things that Paul gives us that Jesus, or, or sorry, that the Holy Spirit wants to, to grow us in. Um, and I have to tell you, I didn't plan this well. Uh, if I looked at the calendar, I don't think self-control would be the fruit I would talk about right before Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> If there's one day a year where I really lack self-control, it's Thanksgiving, right? My ideal Thanksgiving dinner starts at about 3 p.m. and goes until 8-ish, and then the next day and the next day after that when you're eating like, you know, pumpkin pie for breakfast. Um, some of you judge me for that. It's not any different than a donut. Like, get over yourselves. It's, it's the same thing. They're both desserts. I hate to break it to you, Okay. Uh, so not the best Sunday to be talking about self-control. Not the worst sermon ever, though. Some of you might remember, it could be worse. I could be in a series on biblical finances and talking about sticking to a budget on Mother's Day. That could be worse. And some of you will never forgive me for that error, and I apologize. I will never do that again, ladies. That was terrible. Um, but uh, this is just where we're at, okay? We're on the last one. We're on self-control. So whatever the calendar says, sorry about that. Uh, we're not going to read it, but I want to I just look at this list for a minute because one of the things I've been asking myself throughout this series is uh, whether or not the order matters. Like, are these listed in a particular order for any given reason? And, and scholars are kind of um, 
split on that. It kind of depends on who you read. Some would say, yeah, the order is, this is why, and some of that, just it's a random list. To me, I, it makes sense that love would be first on the list, right? Uh, Jesus, Jesus said that love is the greatest commandment. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you've got everything in the world, but you don't have love, you have nothing, right? So it makes sense that love is first. Love is the key. Love is the umbrella. In fact, this is how I love uh, Donald, Donald Barnhouse put this. Uh, he says, love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. And then I, I just love this one. Self-control is love holding the reins. How do all these work together? How does it all come back to love? Right? Self-control is love holding the reins. So love is first. I, I get that. Why is self-control last? Is there any reason for that? And maybe not. This is just Mike speaking. It's not in the Bible or whatever. But I wonder if the reason self-control is last on the list it's because our expression or our experience of all of these other fruits without self-control will be less than what they could be. They'll be diluted or they'll be more short-term. Like it's not super hard to be kind for a moment. Most of us have that in us. We can pull that off. But to be a person of kindness, that takes another level deeper of, of discipline of endurance, of kind of being kind over the long haul no matter what, right? And you could, you could say this for all of the fruits, to be a person of peace, to be a person of faith or goodness or whatever it is, to be that kind of person in the world in which we live takes discipline. It, it, it takes a different level of mastery. And that's really what self-control is, right? It's to be a master of yourself. I think it was John Maxwell who first said that the hardest person to lead is the person in the mirror, right? We spend a lot of time wanting to lead others, influence others, maybe even control others. Don't raise your hand. The hardest person to control, the hardest person to lead is yourself. But if we get that, if we get this right, all of these other fruits are gonna be more abundant in our life. First Corinthians chapter nine Paul uh, uses this metaphor of a champion athlete, right? You've probably heard this before, but verse 24, he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, right? This, he's, he's envisioning like these famous Olympic type races that they would hold, right? In ancient Greco-Roman society. And he's like, everybody runs, everybody starts in the starting line and goes when the gun goes off, but there's only one winner, so he says, run in such a way as to be the winner. Run in such a way as to cross the finish line. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And that, that's the word you may want to underline or highlight there. Everyone who competes goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And because of that, Paul says, therefore... I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't just like haphazardly do this thing. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, he says. 
No, I live more purposeful than that. I, I, gotta, I go into strict training, just like I, those athletes go into strict training to win this, this temporary trophy or whatever. The, the prizes and the rewards of heaven and, and the life of godliness, those, those prizes and stuff are even more important to me. So I, I go into strict training for those. All right, Paul says winning athletes don't win on accident. <laughs> right, if you want to win at life, you, you can't really just sort of aimlessly go through life. Um, Michael Phelps, for example. Okay, I don't know how much you know about Michael Phelps, and they've done studies on his body because he is such an incredible case study of an athlete. Right, Michael Phelps, easily the best swimmer that's ever lived. I think he's half fish or something, but he, I mean, just, just a freak of nature in the water. And part of that was because of his training. Some of it's just God-given genetics. Uh, but his training stuff was legendary. So up to a year before a race, Phelps and his coach would lay out their, their practices and their diet and like how they were gonna attack it. And then one month before Olympic trials, Phelps and his whole team would move to Colorado so that they could train in higher elevation. And in 23 days, Phelps would get in 55 different practices. Okay, plus that, on top of that, he would do dry land strength training and, and exercise and all of these kinds of things. All of that at 63,000 feet of altitude. So this would train his body in an extreme way. So his training regimen, to get in 55 practices in 23 days is a lot. So he would do three a day, two a day, three a day, two a day, three a day, three a day, two a day, like back to back to back. And he'd take one day off at the end of that. And then he would start back up again. Now to be able to do that requires a certain level of fueling your body that most of us can't imagine. This is where I wish that I was an athlete just so I could eat like this. Uh, <laughs> But Phelps would consume 12,000 calories a day. It's a lot. Listen to his breakfast. This was his typical breakfast during training. Three fried egg sandwiches with cheese, lettuce, tomato, fried onions, and mayonnaise. Two cups of coffee. It's a lot, right? And a five-egg omelet, one bowl of porridge, three slices of French toast, and three chocolate chip pancakes. Dude, not messing around. That is breakfast only. And you're like judging me for pumpkin pie a little bit ago, right? But he would burn through calories like nobody's business. He had to eat that much. Um, he, he was such a, he put so much strenuous load on his body that they've actually done testing. He had the ability to, um, he built up less lactic, lactic acid in his muscles than any athlete they've ever tested. In fact, so much so that They've done studies that show that he actually um, would reduce the amount of lactic acid in his muscles while swimming, while working out. That's how he was able to crush everybody because that's not normal. That's weird. Basically, everyone else is getting tired and he's like, this is fun. That's what I'm trying to say there, right? But athletes just get this. If your goal is to be the best in the world at something, your whole life has to revolve around that goal. There's another uh, funny story that uh, Rodney Harrison tells. Rodney Harrison was a linebacker for a long time in the NFL. And when he got traded to, to the New England Patriots, insert booze here. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Please help me out. Uh, Harrison showed up to the locker room early the first day he got traded. He wanted to impress everybody, particularly Tom Brady. Insert booze. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I knew I could count on you, Jamie. Thank you. Okay. 
But he shows up to the locker room early. He's like, I'm gonna impress these Patriots. They're gonna know that I'm the man. I'm gonna work out early. So he gets to the gym at 6 a.m. to start lifting. And he puts his bag down and he puts his gear on and gets his drink and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, Tom Brady walks by him and says, good afternoon. (laughs) That's a power play, right? He's already drenched his sweat. He's already been there for three hours working out. Now, love him or hate him, and you know how I I feel. Uh, There's a reason Tom Brady's still playing in the NFL at age 45, because he is obsessive about his body, about his routine. He, he strictly trains for exactly what he does, and he gets the results that you would expect for somebody who acts that way. Okay, but it's not just sports, right? Um, any kind of lofty goal, it takes a high degree of discipline. Right? And Paul says we'll, we'll be disciplined when it involves an earthly prize, like, like we want to grow the company to a certain level, you know, or we want to have a PhD. We want to have doctor in front of our name. Or, or, you know, we want to be considered the best at something, whatever it is. We'll go into strict training to achieve those things here on earth. But what about our spiritual lives? Like, what about our connection with God and these fruits of the Spirit? Are we willing to, to be disciplined and to apply strict training to our lives for these rewards that I think all of us would agree are more important? for the things that actually matter in eternity. That's what Paul's encouraging us to do here. He's saying, don't just run aimlessly. Like, don't just go through the motions of your life and, ah, we'll just see where I end up. Like, get purposeful, get focused, get disciplined in your pursuit of Christ. That is what self-control is all about. Proverbs chapter 25 Verse 28 gives us an interesting word picture. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, that metaphor might be lost on us a little bit because we don't really build giant walls around our houses anymore. Or, you know, there's not a big gate around Almsville or anything. Uh, but, but back in those days, your city was only as strong as its walls. Right? If you had a hole in your wall or, or you didn't have a wall at all, you were a sitting duck. All of your neighbor enemies, all of just the random raiders that would come through and steal your stuff and hurt your people, like you were, you were just fair game. So everyone that was anybody had a wall uh, and they lived inside those walls. There was a sense of protection. And so what Proverbs is saying here is you and I, without, without this fruit of the Spirit, okay, without a strong sense of self-control, you and I are an easy target. We are an easy target. So where might we need to get a little more disciplined, right? Where might we need to gain some self-control? Because it's, it's self-control, by the way. There is no fruit of the Spirit that says uh, controlling others. Like, most of us are pretty decent at that one, or at least we try to be. It doesn't work very well, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is not, how can I get this person to be more like this? Or how can I get them to do that? No, the fruit of the Spirit is, how can I be better at controlling myself? The hardest person to control and lead is me. How do I do that better? And what areas might I need to kind of fortify myself? Okay, I want to look at three areas of, of control. Um, number one, we can control our inputs, right? We can control our inputs. 
the things that influence us, the voices that speak to us. So in the 1970s, they did a study, and they found that the average American encounters about somewhere between 500 and, and 1,600 advertisements a day. Okay, that was in the 1970s. How, how are advertisements coming to us in the 70s? Anybody got some guesses? Radio. Radio. Newspaper. Remember those? Remember newspapers? Those were cool. <laughs> Sears catalogs. Sears catalogs, Yeah. <laughs> Wow, especially with Christmas time and you circle all the things, right? <laughs> Billboards, they, we still have those, but like they put up a billboard, the Marlboro Man, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, today, with the rise of the internet and all those things, with these supercomputers we have in our pockets, it's estimated that you and I encounter about 10,000 advertisements a day. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, everyone, thank you, yes. Like, just, like, we don't even recognize the amount of stuff that's being sold to us on a moment-by-moment basis. Not just stuff, but ideas. Um, constantly coming out of so many voices. And so this has given rise to ideas on how, how we could control that better. Like, how can we limit our, our exposure? Um, like, there are certain browsers, right, that have automatic pop-up blockers and that kind of stuff on your phones and your computers, there are certain apps you can download to keep the internet from tracking you, all that kind of thing. Um, the most extreme example, though, that I found are these things called IRL glasses. Okay, and I never heard of these. Uh, but IRL glasses, IRL stands for in real life. And what these glasses do, and you can find videos on, on YouTube and stuff of how this works, um, it has these special polarized lenses, so that when you put them on and you look at a screen, even if the screen is on, it looks off to you. It goes completely black. And again, you can watch these videos and you can see this at work. You can actually order these. It was on Kickstarter and got funded and now it's a product. Like you can actually buy these. And, and so that just tells me like we are aware, aren't we? We are aware of some of these influences in our life and wanting to block them and what can we do about them. But we can't possibly block every input out. Even these glasses won't do that for you. These glasses will work on your TV screen probably and some computers and stuff, but, but they don't work on OLED screens. Um, and that's a problem because most, most of the newest cell phones, that's the kind of screen that's on them. So it's not gonna block that out. And so it's, you can't possibly con control this 100%. You can't possibly control every input, every voice, everything that's coming at you. But you can control what voices shape you the most, right? And what you're going to allow yourself to, to soak in, if I can put it that way. And if we're struggling to cultivate one of these fruits of the Spirit, let's go back last week to what Betsy was sharing. If, if you would just say, man, gentleness is a real myth in my life. I need more gentleness. I would just say, let's examine our inputs a little bit and ask if the things we're watching and listening to, and reading, the people we're spending the most time with, like, are all of those voices making me a more gentle person or not? And you can do that with any of the fruits. If you look at the list and just go, man, that one right there, that's the one that I just seem to be missing or short on. I would just say, what, how are your inputs contributing to building that into your life? Because all of these inputs shape us. 
Now, I'm not suggesting we go back to like 1990s summer youth camp, bring your Green Day CDs to the bonfire, and let's have a party, right? Anybody else do that when they were in youth group back in the day? Just, okay, a few of us. You went out and bought it again after camp, didn't you? You missed that. <laughs> Blink-182, is that what it was? What, what? Yeah. I'm not suggesting we do that, but I am suggesting that we be more intentional, that, that we, get, we become more conscious of the things that are unconsciously shaping us. Right? That is something we can control. And if the inputs in our life aren't making us more like Jesus, and if they're not making us look like this list that Paul gives us in Galatians 5, then we need to limit them or we need to replace them because that should be the goal. That should be the thing we structure our life around being. Okay, so number one, we can control our inputs. Number two, uh, we can control our thoughts. And this kind of goes hand in hand because I think a lot of those voices and inputs are the things that actually, you know, get control of our minds and, and cause us to think certain ways. I had to exercise this over the last couple of weeks. Uh, on the Monday before we left for our trip, I am, I am scrambling around. I'm trying to get all the things done around here. How many of you know that before you take a week of vacation, you got to do two weeks of work, right? And then you come back, and there's magically three weeks of work, and you're like, that math just doesn't work out, but here it is, you know? And that was true for churches, too, and pastors. And so I'm trying to set everybody up, and okay, Betsy, you got what you need, and Kurt, okay, cool. And I'm, and I'm doing all of this thing. And we've been planning this trip for months. We've been talking about it for years. We've been planning it for months. Cassie's been packing for way too long, uh, <laughs> weeks, right? She thought of all the things. My wife was incredible. Um, and apparently I'm incapable of packing myself, so there's that. Uh, but just like so much anticipation, so much excitement. And in the middle of all of that, we didn't, we didn't look at the weather. I knew it was Florida, so I'm like, it's going to be hot. Uh, it's going to rain probably a little bit every day. People forget that who moved to Florida. They're like, it rains here too? What? Yeah, yeah, it does a lot. But I was like, you know, I should look one more time because I was trying to decide, is there any point in bringing like long pants for anything? Or is it just going to be shorts and flip-flops all week? Like, what are we doing? So I pull up the weather report the day before we get on a 6 a.m. flight. And there's a little thing called Tropical Storm Nicole headed directly for Florida. And you know how they show the like path that the hurricane may or may not take, right? At that moment, it is heading squarely for Orlando. And they're predicting it to become a category one hurricane. And, it, and it'd be the first hurricane to hit mainland America in like 40 some years or something like that in, in November. Sorry, that's a key point. I start to panic I go into catastrophe mode where like worst case scenario thinking starts to take over. Anybody else do this? It's like all the things that could happen, you know, we're going to have to cancel our trip or we're going to go and it's going to be terrible and we're just going to get rain. They're going to close the parks and then we're not going to get to go. My kids are going to be disappointed. My wife is going to be disappointed who's put so much effort and work into this trip and she's going to just hate every minute. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be for nothing. And so I, you know, and people start texting because they start seeing it too. And they're like, hey, you know, maybe you could change your dates or maybe you can do that. And it's like, no, like we really can't. My life doesn't work like that. We've had this plan. We can't shift our dates. Like we bought those plane tickets when they were affordable. 
they are no longer affordable. Like, we can't do this. Like, we just have to go, but I don't know what's going to happen, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And my, my mind is really, and it starts to pull up the catalog, not just of everything that could go wrong on that trip, but everything that's gone wrong in the last two years. <laughs> like, everything that we've had to cancel or move or I had to miss out on or whatever because of, the, of COVID and all this kind of stuff, right? And there's been a lot of that. There's been a ton of that. And, and I'm just like, I'm spiraling, right? And I find myself in this really anxious, angry, not good place. And so I text our staff. I start texting some friends and I'm just like, I need you to pray for me. Here's the situation. And it's not, I never said, I need you to pray that like the hurricane moves off coast or anything like that. It's just, I, I need you to pray because I'm spiraling right now. And I had to just put the to-do list away that was massive. I had to just sit there and I needed to just take an hour and recenter my mind on God. And I get out my Bible and just recenter my thoughts, allow his truth to speak to me, allow my thoughts to be shaped by his thoughts and just find a better place. You and I have the ability to do that. We can control our thoughts. It's not easy, but it's possible. First Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive. I, just, I love the, the imagery of that. Like We just grab a hold of it. Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Right? I, I can tell my thoughts how to think. I, I, can, I can think it, and I can feel where it's going to go, and I go, uh-uh, nope, not going to let you go there. And I can grab a hold of that, and I can make it submit, and I can surrender it to Jesus and replace it with his thoughts. Right? This is an incredible thing, an incredible gift that God has given us. And Paul wouldn't tell us to do this if it wasn't possible, right? That when our minds start to wander into ungodly, untrue, unhealthy places, we can be empowered by God's spirit to say, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna let my mind spiral. I'm not gonna let my mind do that. And a lot of us, we wanna change something in our life, like a behavior, and we start by trying to change the behavior. Um, And in reality, a lot of those behaviors would change if we started by changing our thoughts, how are we thinking? That's the power of this, right? We, we can control our thoughts. And then number three, lastly, we can control our reactions. Right? We can control our reactions. Like, like stuff happens, right? Things that we can't control. If there's anything we learned over the last couple of years, hopefully it's that we are not as in control as we thought we were. And we, we, we're learning that daily, aren't we? Um, and things just happen. Like, I could not move Hurricane Nicole. I want to apologize to anyone in here named Nicole. I said some not nice things about you. I was not happy with you, and I'm sorry they picked your name. But there's nothing I could do about it, right? Hurricane's coming. Um, things happen. People say hurtful things that I wish they didn't say. Plans change. Like, kids get sick, and... After missing a day in the parks because of a storm, you've got to change your park days three different times 
with Disney because each kid gets sick on a different day and it's a blast, right? And you you're need a vacation from your vacation. Um, like things happen. Things happen. And you can't control them, but you can control how you react to them. Right? Proverbs 29, 11. says, a fool, and this is not my words, don't get mad at me, it's in the Bible. A fool, this is what, this is what a fool does, gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man holds it in check. I love that translation. Because we're gonna get mad sometimes. Right? We're gonna get frustrated. Our emotions are gonna wanna get the better of us. Stuff happens, people happen. And we can't control what other people do or don't do. It is self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, not other control. But we can control how we react. We can't even control how we feel, right? Anger itself is not a sin. Um, you being mad is okay. Sometimes it's appropriate to be mad. That's the appropriate response to the moment. It's what you do with that anger then that matters, right? We could put it this way. We can let our emotions teach us without letting them drive us, right? God gave you your emotions. He gave you those feelings. They are, they are a gift from God. I always tell people emotions are like those little the little dashboard indicators in your car that sometimes come on and tell you, hey, your tire pressure's low or you haven't changed your oil in 20,000 miles. You better do that before you blow up, you know, or speaking from experience. Uh, check engine light, right? Those indicators are there for a reason. They're trying to tell you, hey, you need to look at the car. There's something wrong. You need to go in for, you know, maintenance or, or whatever it is. That's your emotions. They are communicating something to you. So you should listen to them. You, should, you shouldn't ignore them. But you can't let them control you either. Right? They're not in the driver's seat of your life. Your feelings and your emotions are in the passenger seat. And we can control our emotions. We can control how we react. So let me end this series with just a couple questions to apply today and just maybe what we've been learning. Question number one where do you need to fortify your life? Right? Where do you need to fortify your life? Uh, going back to that Proverbs metaphor of, of the wall, like where in your life is there maybe a bit of a crack or a hole that's causing you to be an easy target for the enemy? Where you're lacking self-discipline, you're lacking self-control, and you need to fortify that area. Um, now, in, in, in January of 2023, we're, we're actually going to do a series called Guardrails, and we're going to look at some common areas where we need some better boundaries and some guardrails in our life before we go off the road and get ourselves in trouble. But don't wait until January 1st to ask this question, right? Like, like for some of us, that would be disastrous if we didn't plug the hole now. And the Holy Spirit's not sitting around going like, well, I'll help them set a goal in January and get to work on that with them. Like the Holy Spirit is here now, he's active in your life, wants to help you shore up the walls of your life and find discipline and self-control. So what area do you need to better fortify your life? It could be in your physical health, it could be in relationships, it could be in your finances, it could be in your prayer life. I mean, there's so many ways. It could be some of the things we talked about today with controlling your emotions more, whatever it is. Um, where do you need to better fortify your life? 
And then the second question to ask yourself, what am I really going after? Right, what am I going after? Like one of the things I've found to be true in my life over and over again is when I don't have a goal, that's when I lack discipline. Right, when I don't have a clear picture of like, what I want to achieve or, or like who I want to be, that's when I just kind of get a little bit too loosey-goosey and, and, and get myself in trouble. Um, like, for example, a few years ago, I think it's four years ago now, I set what I thought was kind of a crazy goal at the time. It was. Uh, I wanted to run a half marathon. And I was just going to do it. I was going to will my way to do it. I wasn't much of a runner. I'd run a little bit here and there, but I was like, I want to do this. I was turning, I think, 35 or something like that, which felt at the time like this huge milestone. <laughs> now it's kind of silly. But I was like, I am going to run, I'm going to run a half marathon this year. And so I, I set that goal. I set up a little run plan on the Nike Run app. I paid my registration fee three months in advance because money motivates me. Like I've paid for this. I better do it, right? That's just how my mind works. So I pay in advance so I won't back out. Um, and for the next four months of my life, my entire world revolved around that goal. Everything from what I ate to how much sleep I got to the apps that I bought, the stores I shopped at, how many miles I'd run every day or, or, or every week, what pace, even like how I'd spend my time. Because before that goal, okay, I would get my kids to bed and then I would just have two hours to veg out because it was like, that's my time to finally just take a break and watch Netflix or whatever, right? But with that goal, it was like, get the kids to bed. I, I still got seven miles to do today. And it's dark, and it's raining, and it's gross, and I don't want to do it, and it's cold. But I got to to stay on track of this, schedule, this training schedule because that's how it works, right? And, and so having that singular goal controlled so much of my life. Now, fast forward to today. Right now, just to be completely vulnerable, I don't have any goals when it comes to my personal fitness. And it's apparent to me. And maybe to you, but that's none of your business, Okay. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not, I'm just not motivated in that area. And my physical health is not as good as it should be because of that. And I need to, I need to get on, like I am like Paul said, I am, I'm a boxer just kind of like beating the air. There's no real rhyme or reason to what I'm eating or, or, or my exercise or anything like that. There's no plan. And I need to make a change in that area. After Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving, like <laughs> not doing it now, right? That would be dumb. But like what, it's hard to have self-control if you don't have a goal. If you don't have something, you're, you, a picture in your mind of where you wanna go or who you wanna be or more importantly, who God wants you to be. And I think that's the beauty of Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 is it gives you a picture. Right, if there's anything that you could strive to be in your life, wouldn't you look at this list? Like who wouldn't wanna wake up and go, man, I wanna be a person of love and joy peace and patience and on through. It, it gives you a target to aim at. It gives you a picture. And the best part is it's not just a self-improvement project. It is a Holy Spirit-filled project where, where you actually have the Spirit of God working alongside you saying, I want to help you reach this goal. So how would you structure your life? What goals do you have? I have two main goals for my life. You gotta come up with your own, but these are the two that I think about all the time. I have them written down in my office. I look at them every day. 
right? The first goal of my life is I wanna be, I wanna live in such a way that the people who know me the best respect me the most, right? The people's respect that matters most to me are my family and my close friends. I don't, I'm not super concerned about what the crowd thinks or what my social media feed thinks about me or, or, or whatever, but the people who know me the best, those are the people that at the end of the day I want to respect me the most, That's my first goal for my life. My second goal is I want to give God the best return on his investment. That I believe he's put certain gifts in me, he's given me certain abilities, and he's he's entrusted to me certain things, and I want to get to heaven and give it back to him and him say, man, well done. You multiplied what I gave you. The thing I put in you, you, you just gave me the best return on investment. Those are, the, those are the two goals that shape my life. What are yours? I, I want to encourage you to just take some time this week. Write something down. Right? Jot down a sentence or two of what you want to achieve. Those are great goals, but those, those are what, what Craig Rochelle would call do goals. Even bigger than that are be goals. Who do you want to be? I want you to write a few of those down. And then Watch as you begin to shape your whole life around that and your routines and all of those things, right? People who win shape their entire life around the pursuit of that goal. So who does God want you to be? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thanks for meeting with us this morning. Your word says that that your word does not return void, meaning that it, it goes out and when it's heard and when it's applied, things happen in our life. Good things happen in our life. So I pray that we would hear your voice clearly today, that you would put your finger on a place in the wall where, where we need a little more self-discipline and self-control, Lord. I pray that you would empower us in that area um, Maybe it's one of these things we talked about today. Maybe it's something completely different. You know. You know exactly where we're at. Uh, you know the, the places where we're weak uh, and, and we need discipline. And I pray you would help us to pursue that um, and become the people that you envision. Right? There's, there, we all have goals, Lord. We all have things we want to see and, and do uh, in our lives. The most important thing is how can we become the people you call us to become? And we pray that you would help us to to go into strict training, as Paul says, to become those kinds of people. And we pray this in your name. Amen.